it's Cofield and Company. I'm giving you one more chance, Steve. I can't have you driving down the road in a skyjack drinking beer. Steve Cofield. We like Steve. <laughs> but we don't love Steve. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. Here we go. Friday, party, 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 Friday, 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 Friday. It's a hockey Friday. John Von Tobel's here. It's Cofield. Ari is in our Finley Toyota studios. Before we break it down in the big five and get you more of the opening game notes for the Knights and the Canadians. John, I just want to loop you in. I know you're uh, you're in faraway places right now. We appreciate you doing the show, so you're not... Uh, you're not being kept abreast of everything that's happening uh, as Ari and I were bickering in the last break. Uh, I, uh, we got the TV here in studio, um, and I'm like, yeah, we're watching the hockey game, dude. And Ari's like, no, I want to watch Monk. So the great thing is Ari won out, and we finally found USA, and lo and behold, the hockey game is on, not Monk. No. Okay, I made all of that up. It is incredible and I, I, you know, I know I'm, I'm beating the dead horse, but it is incredible what the NHL is having to withstand from NBC down the stretch here as they're farming a semifinal game mm-hmm. out to USA Network. Like, so the other uh, yesterday, yesterday when I wanted to watch the Islanders game, I was like, all right, cool, NBC. And I was like, oh, wait, no golf coverage. Oh, okay. Um, NBC Sports Network, of course. Oh, no, that's actually tennis. Oh, okay. Well, I guess it's USA then. Like it was yesterday, too. Uh, that's, I think that's incredible. I, I mean, at least I guess it's not like CNBC or something like that. But I, I'm, I am astonished that it continues to happen with the National Hockey League. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Five at Five. Number five. <laughs> Line updates. So you got uh, Pacioretty, Tuck, Stone, Marcus Hill, Carlson, Smith, Kolasar, Wah, Janmark on the third line. And then Carrier, Nosik is back. And Reeves, no Stevenson. So uh, desperate move. Hey, they're going to roll the dice with Tuck. Not really a, a, a true center at all, but he's going to be up on that first line. So that's the deal with the uh, Golden Knights as they go into this game. And just a few more minutes before the uh, puck drops uh, officially at... 15 after, so 11 minutes away from the beginning of game three. Fired up for the game! By the way, am I yelling too loud? Because I I can actually uh, see you right now because we've got a little trusty camera set up, John. Uh, did you get, like, punched in the ear? Did you have some kind of... Are you okay? So, I had uh, I had a cyst removed the oh, other no. day. And it wasn't that big. It was like one centimeter or maybe two or something like that. I guess that's kind of big. I don't know. Um, but, you know, just like a big, like a little lump underneath the skin that I had to get excised. But it was crazy. It was one of the most, I guess, disturbing experiences really? I've ever had. Well, because so so what they do is so I was awake for the whole thing. You know, cool. they just they shoot you up in the area. I got like six shots right in the area in which they were going to do the procedure, which is you can see it. Nobody can, but it's, you know, it's right here, right in front of my ear. And so they you know they numb you up, 
So it's weird because you don't you don't feel any pain, right? You don't feel anything whatsoever. But like the seventh needle poke, she's like, "All right, what do you feel? Pressure or sharpness?" I'm like, "I don't feel anything." Like <laughs> she's just injecting the crap out of me with this stuff, and, I, and I'm not feeling a single thing. So, but the crazy part was, it's right next to my ear. So not only am I awake and, and feeling like the path of his scalpel as it like cuts me open and all that stuff, but I'm hearing everything as well. And it was just such a somewhat unpleasant experience. Not that I had the, the doctor was absolutely fantastic. They did a great job. But like there was one point, Steve, where you could tell he has the, like, the tweezers and he's pulling on the cyst and it's like tight and he's just <laughs> like going at the root of the cyst. Oh, and I can feel no. like I Dinner can time. feel all of it. Like it was so weird. And being able to hear it, it was just such. A, an odd experience and then with the sutures too you know because i got about i think two or three stitches here you know feeling him like pull it like a string and like it was just what is going yeah, on really huh? did, they, did they run out of numbing agent why are you not knocked out where what's happening here well, it's this like a is horrendous this small procedure so you know you just shoot them up and then get on with it but yeah dude it was it was weird and especially like it was like like i'm trying to like you know, like if you have like a piece of chicken and it's on the bone and you're trying to get it to bone, right. so you, can, like, you know what I mean? Like, All that, right. that was the feeling. Okay. <laughs> and by the All way, right. the, would you do this? So I'm sitting there and this is the best part. So I'm laying on my side part. on the table That's as he's like, part. you know, doing everything. And he finally, I can feel it like give way and it finally comes out. He goes, you want to see it? And I'm like, yeah, why not? And so he just like dangles it in front of my face. And, like he was just like I'm talking to him the whole time. Oh, like my no. face is probably all cut open. It was so weird, dude. Uh, important question: Is this your second show of the day? Uh, yes. Why are you working? What do you mean? It's the, an outpatient procedure. Oh, my face is swollen a little bit. Sounds but. horrendous. No, nah, I was all right. Now, I will say, it does speak to how uh, how fluffy my face has gotten that not many people notice that the yeah. right side of my face yeah. is super swollen. <laughs> I saw you this morning, and uh, you were like, look at this, look at this. And I'm like, yeah, I can see a little swelling. But honestly, if you didn't tell me, hey, your face is kind of round, man. It's not, it's not like it's exploding. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Believe me. It does w- suck to when, sleep. When I get, yeah, I'm sure it does. Uh, when I get my inevitable nose surgery, which I'll disguise behind a, uh, oh, I had to get, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, some, something fixed. My deviated septum fix. When I finally get uh, that beautiful nose I've always needed, uh, and there's a little, little, uh, what's it called, uh, freaking swelling on my face. I'm sure no one will notice. Same thing. Same thing. You know, you got certain features when you get a round face like you. You got a big schnoz like me. No one's gonna notice. All right, next up. Number four. Yay, golf is fun. Uh, we talked about Phil Mickelson getting annoyed. Another golfer annoyed, John, that uh, there was a little bit of noise on the course. Can we just deal with the fun guys? Even if they hate each other, the fun guys are the ones we want to be behind. And the fun guy of all the fun guys is Big Bryce. Now, play isn't going well for him, but at least there's some levity around the event and something uh, interesting along with what goes on on the course. Uh, DeChambeau's not fun. I, I've come around on on not really liking DeChambeau that much. Like I can kind of, I can kind of totally get it. Yeah. Like, uh, look, I'm not a golf purist by any stretch, but you know what? Let's 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 add some finesse to the game. All right. Don't just ham fist your way around a course and just destroy the ball. Oh. Who cares where it lands? Because it's back like you know, in John looked, Von Tobel back in my day, the Von Tobel Country Club days. You had respect for the sport. It's a game of touch. 
Well, like, it's like, so, like, you know, and he was a little bit better today. I think he finished two under. He's back even. But, like, you know, you watch him, and it's just like, all right, let me just drive the crap out of this ball. Who cares where it lands? Yep. And then, you know, I'll just gouge out some rough, and I'll just, I'll get it. I'll figure yes, it out. And yes. it's like, come on, bro. He's the everyman. Like, he's the huh? everyman. He's the everyman with a very interesting uh, training regimen, whatever he's doing to get gigantic. Uh, he's the everyman. Bro, you go out, you hack up the course, you survive, maybe you score well. And like and like yesterday too. Dude, I don't know if you saw the video. Yesterday he's like out at the driving range. You know what I mean? Like until like eight, like nine o'clock at night. Like, bro, who cares? Like, you're just what are you working on? Right? Like, it's not like you're working on the touch on your shot. You don't care about accuracy. You're just sitting there hulking out and just driving this ball as far as you can. And oh. it works again. There was a par three there where he just completely out muscles and iron shot like flies over the green and into the, into the penalty area like what are you doing don't be jealous of us powerful swing guys in golf i can't golf uh but but, like, I, but i do but i do like his game because uh, i am an animal and i just try to freaking rip everything as much as possible i'm all over the course and make sure you get me a couple of beers to kind of medicate myself but Kepka, Kepka's super yoked you know what i mean but kepka has got like accuracy and he's like that's why he's been doing so good you know like the accuracy to stay on the fairway and then you know have actual iron shots from the fairway <laughs> and like little things like that. Oh my God. It's why he's been super successful. I but. feel like you need to speak with an Australian or British accent right now. What is going on? You got to refine. Like you have to. You have to refine, and you need to whisper. You have to yeah. refine your game. I don't appreciate this muscle game. Just bombing and gouging out there on the course. I mean, you have to find a better lie. You have to find a better situation. Number three. What do you think of this? This is a, I'll, I'll call it a bombshell. If you know, if you're micro focused like we are on the Raiders, how about Vic Tafer who covers the team? And you know, Vic's not one to overblow things, right? Just uh, as clickbait. But uh, Vic said right now, Damon Arnett is in a, a real battle here and is almost becoming an afterthought, which is shocking because uh, you know what you're expected to get at the 19th pick of the draft, and Arnett was the second first-round pick of the Raiders a year ago. Afterthought? Really? I Look, and, and I think – so there's a couple of things, right? We can go straight to Raiders draft history, you know, in this regime over the last few years and what's been going on with some of those high picks and how unsuccessful they have been. But I, I would also say that this sticks out for a couple of reasons – for another reason as well, Stephen, that's because – after they selected Damon Arnett with the 19th pick, with the 80th overall pick, who'd they pick? It was Lynn Bowden, right? Yep. And Bowden, by all accounts, had some character issues, and that flamed out extremely quickly. And reading Tafer's piece, some of the issues here with Arnett might be in terms of work ethic or character issues. So, and, and, and it's issues that may have been, or not even may have been, <laughs> should have been. were known, right? Right yeah. before the draft. Yeah. So, like, like, at some point, like, when we're talking about reaching on guys, if we're talking about ignoring red flags, all of these things, like, when are you going to get it? Because now, like you said, this is a guy who, yes, had some injury issues, but clearly doesn't seem to be working out. And now we're at 2021, and we're already talking about him potentially being out of the rotation. Yeah, the uh, the tweet reads, Raiders drafted Damon Arnett in the first round last year. Uh, pick experts called a reach. Vic Tafer says that after watching minicamp practices this week and talking to people in the building, Arnett has become almost an afterthought. Um that is a disaster on the surface. I will also say it's June. Mm -hmm. Lots of things happen in the football world. Lots of things happen with football people and media. It wouldn't shock me, and I'm not saying you know Vic's being duped here, but it wouldn't shock me if this is the message that the Raiders would like out there. 
Now, they're going to get mocked for it. Like, I saw Matt Miller, you know, newly minted draft expert for ESPN's like, well, that's what happens when you take a third rounder in the first round. But I could also see some of the people in the Raiders brass be like, you know what? Maybe he really needs a big kick in the ass and needs to be embarrassed a little bit. Let's get this out there and see how Damon reacts. I mean, I, I can totally understand. I've never really bought in a lot to, like, team sending message through media. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to embarrass him, why don't you just tell him to his face, like, hey, bro, like, y- y- you're probably not going to be in the rotation, <laughs> right? Yeah. But maybe that doesn't work. Like, it's well, obviously they, they, certainly... they, John, they tried to send the message, right? I mean, bring in, they bring in Gus Bradley's yeah. veteran guy and Casey Hayward, and I think a lot of people are like, all right, he's going to compete for the spot. And then you hear Gruden talking about, uh, you know, the, the, way I, the way I read it was like, you know, almost like it's Casey's spot. I'm like whoa 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 whoa! Nineteenth pick in the draft a year ago should have to uh, you know should have something to say about that. Yeah, no, that's true. And look, I mean, you don't know how guys react, and maybe it is something where you you can be told to your face, but you're not really buying it. So then you need to see Damon Arnett might not be in the rotation. Who knows? But like at the end of the day, for me, it's like I saw Gruden's quote too. It's like it doesn't matter where you were drafted. Like in this instance, it does because this is <laughs> it's kind of this important. is another. This is another situation in which a high pick of yours seems to not be working out, and that's a problem, and that's a that's a problematic history now over a short sample size. Number two. I almost feel like we should turn up the French National Anthem, or I keep saying the French, the Canadian National Anthem in French, but we won't do it. Uh, great pregame ceremony. I can't really hear it, but uh, we're watching here as the uh, Canadians and Knights are getting ready to start up little delayed start but uh good it looks like a good atmosphere very colorful in terms of the uh whatever they're doing in the crowd with the lights and everything and uh, they've got 3500 in attendance so we're almost ready to go here with the knights and the canadians all right all right did he do enough to get the people who needle him all the time to get him to shut the hell up paul george vindication and now tonight's another chance to slam the door on the critics. Come on, yeah, let's do it, playoff P. He he did enough. Like just stop. And, and it's it, and I even saw I saw at one point he was like, um, well it was just one game. Pay attention. He's been incredible for <laughs> three consecutive games. Like it has been three straight thirty point games. He's shooting over forty percent from three. He's shooting forty eight percent from the floor in those three games. He has been downright awesome with these last three games. And in the postseason, he's been really solid for this team. 36% shooting, 45% from the floor, over 20 points, 20 points in every single game in this postseason. He's been absolutely rock solid for him, man. And it's just, and look, we do this all the time with guys, but you know, I said, I can't remember who, but I had somebody was like responding with me. Yeah, we'll see. Like, what do you mean we'll see? Did you watch what he's been doing? Like, and, and that's the thing that is, and, and maybe it's wrong to respond to the low-hanging fruit mouth breathers of the world who are going to go after him after one bad game. But he's clearly put this team on his shoulders. He's been very good. Even with Kawhi Leonard on the floor, he's been very good. And I don't know how you watch that, that last game and what he did for the Clippers and think, <laughs> we'll see if he continues to do it. He's been awesome. They went on the road and got a major win without their best player. And he was a big pre- he was a big reason. Enough of the pandemic, Pete. So I'll ask why you know what's going on. Why do you... And I know you love the NBA. Why do you get so annoyed by it? Well, I think in this instance, and you and I have you and I discussed this on the stream, especially with Paul George, like and with players in general at times, like there's a certain like vitriol, like vitriolic nature to it, right? Like it seems to get personal at times. 
And even at times where it's not even entirely his fault, like in the first, like the, the game two, right? Game two in the third and fourth quarter, he was awesome. He was driving to the hoop. He's drawing fouls. He's doing well on defense. And like Pandemic P is trending on Twitter. Like, are you watching? <laughs> are you seeing what is happening in the game right now? And like little things like that. But, you know, the, the, the to me, the big part about it, see, with at least with Paul George, and I, I will say this again and again, and you and I talked about it the other day on the, on the, uh, the podcast, the nature of his leg injury and what he has come back from and what he had to deal with and where he's at in terms of the level of his career and the level of player he is, top 30-ish player in the NBA, that's a really good story. And to just get like dunked on all the time because he had a two series, three series in which he was like inefficient from the floor and the again the nasty nature behind it i just i'm not get, i'm never going to get behind that i thought it was just a little over the top number one all right the game has started again play by play is over on uh fox sports las vegas 98.9 fm and 1340 a.m uh, about 90 seconds in yep alex tuck playing on that first line good pressure by the golden knights uh, nothing you know real significant so far in terms of uh any crazy saves or crazy opportunities. So line shift just happened. Uh, we'll keep you updated on what's going on in the game. Uh, we'll get you ready for uh, this Clippers game coming up. It's a big game, actually a full crowd for the first time in LA, at least in terms of uh, a basketball game. The Dodgers have had uh, capacity crowds this week, uh, topping 52,000 earlier in the week. We're going to break down the NBA playoffs, a little bit of college basketball in about 10 minutes. With our basketball insider, the former running rebel, Curtis Terry. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio. Golden Knights scoreless through five minutes. Uh, Montreal, of course, hosting this one. 3,500 fans in attendance. I'll tell you what, they are putting a lot of pressure. A couple of times, Flurry went behind the net to uh, take care of uh, a puck that came down the ice, and they're, they are busting his shop. So we'll see if there's any payback for that next stoppage on the uh, Vegas Golden Knights end of the ice. Again, scoreless, a little over five minutes in. Uh, we're getting ready for basketball tonight with the uh, Clippers. As the Clippers try to close out the series, advance to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, right now in the East, we've got the end of the first going into the second, about two minutes into the second. Uh, what do you got, John? Tie game, 29s? Yeah, I got 29 all uh, between these two at the end of the uh, the first. The bench mob came out and, and had a pretty good solid run. I think they're on a 16-4 to run somewhere in there, Philadelphia 76ers, to right. tie this thing up. All right. Uh, here's the scene at uh, at Staples. I don't think you're an anti-fun guy at the games as many NHL fans are. You know, you, you saw the NHL fans uh, outside the Vegas market bitching about beach balls and the open. And so the Clippers, each each seat has a Let's Go Clippers sign. Okay. All right. All right. That's nice. Has a, ooh, a blue shirt. Ooh. And I think the thing that's most exciting because I'm really liking the lights at the games now. You get an LED wristband. Let's do it. Ooh, nice. And this is, I mean, so obviously, you know, you could talk about whatever home court's worth with all that stuff. 
it is as Arash said when we talked to him earlier, it is interesting that it sets up for the Clippers to get a massive road win and then you finally get back home and now it's it's full capacity for a chance to close it out. It could be a really cool environment for him. Yeah. But it also means it's the perfect spot to fall flat. Now stop. Stop with the Clipper curse. Think positive things. I am thinking positive. They have done – I mean, I can't wait to talk to Curtis because they've done a lot of, I think, like hardcore basketball stuff that has put them in this position. It's why I bet on them in the Utah game, uh, in game five, because uh, – the Utah game, they're all Utah games. Uh, but in game five, because, you know, I thought a lot of what they did, like, carried over without Kawhi Leonard. And uh, we haven't seen anything in terms of Utah adjusting off of that. But I want to see what Curtis thinks about that because everything they've done from a game plan perspective, Ty Lue gets credit. He's done a really good job. Wow. Shocking. Shocking. People giving Ty Lue credit. Well, nobody is. And, like, Quinn Snyder deserves to get raked over the coals. Like, Utah has not budged in terms of their game plan. So, back to the look of what they're giving out at the Clippers game. Uh, Again, I'm not sharp with colors. My eyes are terrible. But the the color scheme on this actually kind of reminds me of uh, the, uh, the Dallas colors, which brings us to what is happening with the Mavericks, like on one hand, and I asked Candy this yesterday, and he kind of mocked at me, suggesting that, uh, you know, all gambling people and analytics people are a monolith. Like, I, well, that's not what I'm saying. But in, in some way, I wonder if the gambling world is like, yeah, professional gambler guys taking over Cuban squad. How do you look at it? Uh, like, what's unraveled the last couple of days where this guy's brought in and all of a sudden it seems like, uh, you know, he's at the top of the organization and everyone else is like, yeah, we don't like the guy. Uh, Luca doesn't like him. Carlisle didn't come out and say it, but Carlisle's like, I'm walking. Uh, you know, Donnie Nelson is like, I'm out after 24 years. What's your take? Well, first off, if you think that Harlebob Bulgaris is like this shiny beacon for uh, analytics and gambling nerds, yeah. uh, it also speaks to the social skills because every single person that actually knows Harlebob and all these reports, like Tim McMahon, Amin Al Hassan, have all said the same thing. He's not great with people. Like <laughs> he's got like no Oops. interpersonal skills whatsoever. Yeah. So in other words, nerd. Uh, so <laughs> like you know what I mean. But regardless, like. You know, I, I think that the gambling community might focus on that. But th- to me, this just sounds like really smart guy who got the ear of Mark Cuban. And Cuban has kind of, you know, acquiesced to that. And maybe he's steered a little bit too much in that direction, giving him some say on, on certain um, decisions. Couple that with the fact that it doesn't seem like he's great in terms of his interactions with people. And you get this situation right now. So, look, I think really, to me, Steve, the story is... Another year here in which Mark Cuban, who came out the other day and said this is total BS, doesn't seem to have a read on what's going on with the relationships inside of his building. And again, has a little bit of a problem here. We talked about the rampant sexual harassment that happened in this building, what, a year ago or so, right? In that massive report. And now you have this where the longtime general manager isn't lock and step with the guy who you brought in to run your analytics department. Luka Doncic not lock and step with either Rick Carlisle, Harlebov, or, you know, what's going on in the executive chair. You just got to clean some things up. And I'll say this, too. I mean, if Harlow's got his fingerprints on some of these moves, Seth Curry for Josh Richardson, you know, drafting Josh Green, little things like that, yeah. hasn't, re- hasn't really been great in terms of some of those personnel moves. Well, let's talk to Curtis Terry next. Curtis, of course, uh, his brother, Jason, uh, played for Rick Carlisle, won a title with the Mavericks, was there eight years. So I'm sure uh, Curtis has some good intel. We'll get to what's going on with the Mavs and then uh, get back to some of the uh, playoff breakdown and uh, what exactly is happening right now in the Atlanta and Philly game. 
phone lines are open. Join the conversation on Cofield and Company now by calling 702-364-1100 or tweet us at Cofield and Co. In terms of the bulk of the culpability, I put it squarely on the shoulders of Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris has been to the free throw line nine times in five games. Now, somebody explain to me what type of excuse can that be? And then we get to Ben Simmons. And I said it to everybody who would listen. Ben Simmons can't shoot, and as a result, that's why the Philadelphia 76ers ain't going to win the title. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. All right, back and forth in the uh, Golden Knights game. We'll get to what Stephen A. was just saying there. It looks like Keegan Kolasar is going to the box. Uh, Knights had a power play, had four good chances, really harassed Carey Price on a a couple of attempts, but nothing, nothing. And now uh, Kolasar has been hit with uh, interference, so Montreal will go on the power play. About 11 minutes left in the first period in a scoreless game. Yeah, so Stephen A. bringing it hard on the Sixers and – well, we, you know, we'll start with Ben Simmons. Start with Ben Simmons as Curtis Terry is up, former running Rebel. Curtis, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Steve and JVT. How's it going, guys? Curtis, is there any way to be nuanced about what Ben Simmons is doing, especially from the free throw line with the shooting? Uh, I, I would I would choose the word perplexing in terms of his shooting from the free throw line. <laughs> um, and it's, it's starting to bother me now. Earlier in the season, throughout the course of his career, you know he's young. You know he wasn't a, a great, skilled outside shooter. But now it's becoming, I mean, blatantly obvious that that's his Achilles heel. And the fact that I mean, the other night he goes four for fourteen from the free throw line. As a guy that has the ball in his hand so much, he almost takes himself out of the game, especially in crunch time. He can't be playable, um, and it's it's perplexing because. First year in the league, doesn't play, has tons of time to be able to work on his shooting, at least standstill shooting and free throws. Um, but to not to be able to prove that, improve that over the course of his career, I mean, it leaves me wondering what the heck is, is up. Um, man, because I just don't, I don't see a reason for it. I think it's inexcusable. Um, but who, what do I know, man? I don't know. <laughs> so that's my answer, Steve. It's a tough one. I've been wrestling with this one for a while. Well, Curtis, and you know, so what I think is interesting with the discourse around Simmons is, you know, we hear the word shoot, and I think a lot of people got really wrapped up in the three point thing. My thing is, add a shot within 14 feet, right? Like a little push shot, like something to be able to spread some stuff out so that you can at least be somewhat respected in other areas of the floor other than finishing with that, you know, uh, within four feet of the basket. Like that's been my thing, like a little mid-range jumper, a little float or something that adds to your arsenal. And yet he, he kind of refuses to do that. And it all seems to be like from, to your point, like a work ethic type, I, I'm just stubborn in the way that I've handled this sort of deal. Yeah, and that's what's unfortunate because that's what it's coming off as. I mean, from the outside, from the public perception, in terms of he's just standing his ground, he doesn't want to put in the work and effort, and free throws are the, are the easiest thing in terms of being able to, to do on the basketball court and not put a lot of effort into working at them. Um, but unless, like, compared to, like, Giannis, Giannis, his outside shot is struggling at it. Obviously, he's improved over the course of his career as it's moved along, but when they can't stop you from getting to the paint and dropping it in from four or five feet, you know what I mean? you don't need to work on your outside shot as much. So if Ben Simmons was that dominant and getting to the paint so frequently like Giannis is, it wouldn't be I mean, as much of a, a headline. But in this case, he's not. Um, and it seems like he's only impactful in open court situations. In transition, he's 
damn near unstoppable. But in terms of half court, he's not even a threat to be able to catch at 17, square up, triple threat, and drive because you know it's, when they say all or nothing, it's all for him to the hoop uh, because there's nothing else I mean, possible that can come from him. So it's, I think it's, it's tough. To, obviously, the, the verdict's out in terms of what he can do, and it's, it's going to hurt their team. And the only time I agree with Stephen A is, is on this statement. So that says a lot. <laughs> Yep. Well, and so and that, that ties into the fourth quarter overall, right? And this, this clutch time offense that we have seen, how it just bogs down and there's nothing. You know, there's no dynamic pick and roll game for the Philadelphia 76ers. They, like, it's a really big problem. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tough because you become so predictable. Throughout the course of the game, if you throw it inside of Joel, I mean, the Hawks defense or other teams are going to adjust. They're going to change their coverage on him and allow kickouts and swings and rotations. But late in the game, you've got to have something that can be more of a go-to as opposed to just posting somebody up. That gets easy to guard and to adjust to, especially when there's no threat on a kickout. Um, and with Danny Green's situation and not being out there, even more easy for the defense to, to guard. Um, but not being able to make a play off the bounce, that's what's hurting them because they don't have any other playmakers. And the other night, I think combined, uh, Seth Curry and, and Embiid go nine of, of whatever from the field in the second half, nine of 23. That's great for those two guys. The rest of the team only gets 11 shots. That's the issue. They only got 11 shots because they have no other way to, to create or generate looks for the rest of the team. And that's where Ben Simmons has to take more on his shoulders and responsibility to be able to make plays. And unfortunately, he's just not there um, or hasn't progressed to that level of responsibility yet as, a, as an NBA player in my eyes. What have you seen from Embiid in the second half? Is it as simple as uh, watching him and going, ah, you know what, torn meniscus, he's kind of wearing down here in these uh, you know, third and fourth quarters? I think so, yeah. I mean, he, he's great in the beginning of the game the other night. Comes out on fire and starts 8 of 8, uh, carrying the load. But let's be realistic. How long can he sustain that and keep that up? Obviously, he's been banged up. He's being asked to do everything on the on the court, make the threes, to rebound, to defend, uh, guard the pick and roll. And when you're hurt and you've been doing so much all year for this team, it's going to wear on you. And I think that's just what's going to happen. And they're just going to get to that point where they need somebody else to do it, but they don't have the guys um, or a guy that can step up, and Ben Simmons is close, but close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades, as they say. How much would it irritate you, by the way, really quickly, to play against a guy like Trey Young? The way that he draws <laughs> fouls and like with the, like his game overall, I feel like that would drive me insane. Uh, I think it would, but I, for me, like that's the kind of challenge that I would, I would mean, like be licking my chops and be be hungry to go after, just because I'm I wasn't the most athletic guy, not the quickest or the biggest. But I was, in terms of intelligence, that's where I would try to find an edge. Um, but I think these guys just don't adjust, and they're not disciplined enough when a guy guards. They put their hands up, and he's savvy enough to know that anytime there's a hand on, he's going to shooting motion. If it's close, they're going to call the foul. Um, so I think these guys just have to be more disciplined and stay home and make him finish over. Like they said, just wall up. But guys get greedy and think more of themselves and want to block shots and, and think they're the best defender and they can rip somebody off the dribble. I mean, that doesn't happen. And so you've got to just almost hope these guys miss, but you've at least got to stay disciplined to, to the core and the fundamentals of staying in front, keeping a hand up, staying down on, on closeouts. Um, but again, Trey Young is Trey Young. He's obviously one of, one of the greats and young ones in this game coming up. So he'd probably cook me and drop forty. So <laughs> I'll stay. I'll stay. I'll stay where I'm at. <laughs> Yeah, that game right now is 43-42. Atlanta leads two minutes left in the first half. All right, we got Clippers in Utah coming up. Uh, avoid the Clipper curse, and you move on to the finals, the Western Conference finals. Um, John was just getting on Quinn Snyder for a lack of adjustments. And on the flip side, Ty Lue's done a good job. That was a spot where 
Um, you know, we had Jeannie Zalasco on who covers the Clippers yesterday, and she's like, eh, you know what? Ty Lue's pretty good in terms of making sure that guys don't hit the panic button. So talk about the coaches in this series because, frankly, the Jazz should not be in this position. They should be ready to close out the series. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the way they started the series, and, and as as good as the Clippers looked early, there was still, I mean, some some room to worry because they couldn't finish the job. Um, I think I think I thought they were going to be done in terms of when Kawhi goes down, but Paul George is playing like Paul George from the Indiana Pacers and taking over. And I think that's what he's supposed to do in this case. He steps up and he's the top dog with Kawhi out. Uh, but you got to give credit to, to Ty Lue. He's been there. He's obviously won the championship before in terms of when he was with the Cavs. Um, but a Quinn Snyder, a, a Seattle guy, I got to give him props from Mercer Island High School. Uh, but I think that they're in trouble in terms of once you figure them out, when Donovan Mitchell is the only guy they have off the bounce to create anything for himself or others, Mike Conley is that missing piece. With Mike Conley, they've got two guys that can put it down and attack you. I think it's just too easy. You just stay and show long and hard, or you double uh, Spider Mitchell, make him kick it, and make someone else make a play off the bounce because they don't have the personnel. Um, as good as they shoot it from the outside, they don't got guys that, that can put it on the deck and create and shoot um, or make plays for others with Conley out. So I think that's, that's a thorn in their side from this standpoint. With Conley, I think they're the favorite without Conley. Uh, I think they're going to be they're going to be going home. Uh, unfortunately, after then they've had. Yeah, Curtis, and that's kind of been my complaint about Snyder. Like, you know, when the Clippers are playing small and they're switching everything and they're not allowing those driving kick opportunities, like when you counteract that, don't you do a little bit more off ball? Like, don't you run some screens for guys off ball, try to get them open, get that zone defense to keep their eyes on their defender as opposed to the ball? Like, I just feel like Quinn Snyder has just been like, well, we've been driving and kicking to catching three-point shooters all season long. This will eventually work. And, like, they've just gotten nothing in the restricted area. They've gotten nothing in the painted area. And it's resulted in, like, these just isolation threes. And, sure, you can shoot really well from three. But the other day, they had only 26 attempts inside the arc. Like, that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to, like, the analytics. So, David, I know you, you take a look at those. Um, and they matter. But I think in this sense, they're almost depending on those too much. But it's not mm-hmm. the, the same team attacking those numbers that they had throughout the course of the season. Again, Mike Conley changes the game for them. A seasoned guy that is seasoned in terms of pick and roll, making plays, attracting attention, finding open shooters. He can make you pay if you're not strong on your coverage. But we only have to worry about one guy, Donovan Mitchell, and he's kind of an energy tempo guy when in terms of he gets going when things are kind of going good. There's nobody else that can get them out of a hole. I mean, I love Joe Ingles. I love the Aussie, but there's nothing that he's going to be able to do off the bounce against, I mean, the size and the defensive switching ability of the Clippers. Um, and we know O'Neal, great defender, 3-and-D guy. Uh, Rudy, not going to get anything on his own, let alone a, a post-up and a drop-step jump hook. So I, I think they're just they're strapped because there's nothing else to them. And I, the, the Clippers figured that out. Now it's if they can stay disciplined and finish that job. But I think they're going to come up short in that next round as long as CP3 is, is able to get back from those health and safety protocols. I'm not wearing this mask. <laughs> Last one on this series real quick because, you know, a lot of people uh, have complaints about Rudy Gobert's defensive player of the year because you can kind of scheme him out of certain situations. The Clippers have kind of schemed them out of this, haven't they? Yeah, uh, to a degree. I think the big thing is they're being physical. They're picking yeah. up early fouls on him uh, away from the ball. And I think uh, Zubac just has a big hand in that. Um, I think Morris, in terms of being able to, to pull the defense out and stretch the floor, but then again, they're attacking. Um, Jackson is attacking off the bounce. Um, but he's a threat from three. Uh, Pat Beverly's just a dog, so he brings energy. He might you know, make you pick up a cheap one. Um, and, and Paul George isn't settling. He's back to, like I said, that Indiana Pacers Paul George and putting his head down and a little sauce in his handle and getting to the rack. 
and putting pressure on him. It's it's much easier when guys are fearful to go all the way to the rack and he they have to shoot over him. He's going to I mean deter or stop ninety percent of those shots. But when they're taking it all the way to the rack or they're getting him in foul trouble and they pull pull him out, put favors in, they're not the same team. So I think again, the Clippers are doing a great job of making uh, the Jazz have to play as they're not used to, um, and and that's the difference because again. Gobert's good, but he's not as good if he's not coming off the pick and roll, rolling down the lane, getting defense to collapse, swinging to open shooters. Um, Ingles, O'Neal on the corners, that's not the team they are right now with, without Mike Conley. Curtis, we got like 90 seconds left, so uh, there's a lot here, but see what you can get in. Uh, Curtis Terry's with us. All right, what exactly has happened here the last couple of days with the Dallas Mavericks? Your brother played there. He won a title there. We got Gambling Dude uh, seemingly taking over the franchise for Mark Cuban. This is nuts. Yeah, man, that's the best way to sum it up. Uh, I talked to Jed a, a little bit last night, um, but didn't get all the way into it. Um, I look at it this way. Cuban knows what he's doing. Uh, Cuban's not a knee-jerk type of guy, uh, type of owner. Um, he's a little free-shooting from the hip, but I think if he does what he wants to do and has a plan, this thing is going to turn out good for them. I think if he concedes and kind of gives into I mean, what Luca wants or, or, or what somebody else wants to do in terms of their vision, and he's not on board, I think this thing's going to fall apart, and the, and the Mavs are going to be back at the bottom like they were a year and a half, two years removed from the championship in 2011. Um, but, but there's clearly a, a friction of butting heads in terms of philosophy. I think that's why, obviously, Donnie Jr.'s gone. That's why Carlisle's gone. Um, so if Cuban does what he wants, and I think if he listens to Dirk, Dirk doesn't play that straight up. Um, and so I think if Dirk can have some influence in terms of them getting the right guy, who I think needs to be someone from the outside coming in, a new, fresh voice, I think they can flip it. If not, um, it may look good for a little bit, but then I think it's going to implode. I think they might find themselves at the bottom again, and, and maybe without Luca um, or without the unicorn. Curtis, awesome. Uh, you going to the game tonight? You going to the uh, baseball game? Yes, sir. We're going to go check out the Aviators. They're playing my hometown, Tacoma Rainiers. So uh, I, I, I rep Vegas, but I got to stick with the two five three, and I'm going to throw on my Rainiers hat um, <laughs> and cheer for the bo- for, for the boys from, from from up in the Pacific Northwest. Curtis, thanks, man. Enjoy the game. Thanks, guys. You have a good one. You too. There he is, Curtis Terry. All right, under five minutes left in the first. Whoa, fourteen to two shot count. They made that might have been uh, shot fifteen for the night. So big first period for the Knights. That's a good change, but they got to get on the board right now. It's scoreless. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at ten thirty. It's the DC and the Sunshine Man podcast with Dave Koken. Watch at Steve Cofield on Twitter or on YouTube. Cofield and Company presents. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Put your hand in there, Dave. John, how over the moon are you that your guy Shohei will be showcased? Not as over the moon as those balls are going to be, baby. Home run derby. Let's go. Shohei Otani. You got to calm your your Yankees fans down, bro. In the comments, there's like there was actually people. I hope uh, does he does he add as much power as, as Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Hopefully he's got the like. Come on, stop it. Watch a baseball game. Hey, he's a this is going to be in, it's going to be incredible to watch this. Plus. There's also business concerns. Why would you not put the you know the biggest Japanese baseball star? Not well, you know you have to put him in there, and, and he's been outstanding. And he's I mean we can, we go on we love that guy, so we go on and on and on. It's almost embarrassing. Our love affair with Otani, you uh, more so than me. Yeah, and well, and, and sorry, it's it's just it's rare where you see a guy who's maybe maybe a contention for a home run title this year too. 
Stick your hand in there, Dave. What do you think of the uh, news that came out that uh, Zion's family put some pressure on the Pelicans to get rid of SVG uh, and, you know, people jumping to the conclusion that this is just another terrible sign for New Orleans basketball, that they're not the, – like the NBA is just not going to last there. It seems like every star there gets some power and they're like, this place blows, let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. Interesting, too, that that comes on the heels of another report that the Pelicans are the most likely franchise to move from their yeah. current market. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, look, you're right about the market, and uh, this is the era. You have to keep your stars happy in terms of at least competing for a championship. I saw a lot of people being like, ah, oh, conceded brat. Like, no, like, if you're not going to make the right moves, if you're going to waste my time, which is, you know, very limited in the NBA, why would I want to be here? Stick your hand in there, Dave. What was the story with uh, Kawhi talking about guarding Giannis? And you were saying it was Pete Kawhi? Well, because apparently he goes uh, after you. If you remember the Eastern Conference Finals when he was with Toronto, they were down 2 nothing in the series. Apparently Nick Nurse held a meeting to talk about adjustments, and Kawhi was in the locker room, and Kawhi just got up and he goes, the adjustment is that I guard Giannis and right. walked out of the room. <laughs> okay, so I'm sure people immediately then go, well, why can't Giannis do that with KD? I mean, you saw it a little bit, but here's the thing, right? KD and the Nets, just like in any matchup, are going to matchup hunt. They're going to go after the weakest link on the floor. So while you might get Giannis out there, they also might run enough screens at him to force him to switch off of him and then go after a Pat Connaughton type. Yeah. So you, you saw a couple more possessions there, but you still have P.J. Tucker. You still have plenty of other options. It's not so much about Giannis. It's about the scheme, and the Brooklyn Nets are forcing the Milwaukee Bucks to switch some of their worst defenders on to Kevin Durant. So you'll get a little bit more from him, but it's not always, just guard him. It's not that well, hard. You know, can we also cut the bull crap? Because while I, I know what Stephen A is doing, and I, I think Stephen A is freaking uh, brilliant, um, Giannis is a defensive player of the year because he's great at defending his area, which is the paint. He can extend a little bit. But Giannis is a big man. And mm-hmm. just because Kevin Durant is the same height as him, Kevin Durant is a freak. He is a seven-foot small forward. And you can see when Giannis is on the perimeter against Kevin Durant, he's on skates. So it's not like I don't. You know, it's, am, I, am I off here? He's a big man. Like who? Can, no, I, no one. No one has said that Giannis can cover four positions. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I would push back a little bit. He did completely shut down Jimmy Butler in the first round, right? Like he guarded him a lot. But to your point. Jimmy Butler's not pulling up from three, right? Jimmy Butler's not finding his spot and then, like, with liquid fashion, just pulling up out of nowhere and hitting a shot. You know, like, and he's got the size advantage in a matchup like that, overwhelmingly so, in terms of contesting jumpers. So, like, I think he can go out on the perimeter against certain limited perimeter players, but against a Kevin Durant, it's much easier said than done. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Was this really a national day, Ari? National take back the lunch break day? Does that mean take the lunch break away from us or put it back into place? I don't know what a lunch break is, so. Oh, that set him up for that one, huh? Yes, it did. There he is, the energy vampire. What we're taking back. There he is, the energy vampire. I I don't get lunch breaks. Do I make the obvious joke? (laughs) Good. Sure, John. Uh, I mean, given the state of the show sometimes, I feel like you do take the lunch break. Oh, wow. By the way, let, not to pile hey, on, but when you trucks. when you when you start your day at noon, when is the lunch break? <laughs> oh no, this is getting bad for you. I feel like Ari is taking the lunch back, the break back already. I'm pull a Jared here and tell you 30 seconds live on air. <laughs> this did not go the way Ari planned. Yeah, well, I put a lot of other uh, 
other topics in, so I didn't know if this was going to get up. Oh, there. it's oh, if, if it has a chance to uh, turn into a disaster for you, it's getting on the show. That's fair. It's definitely getting my, on the show. My catchphrase. Uh, scoreless at the end of the first. If you want to listen to hockey, go over to Fox 1340 and 98.9 FM. If not, we got great gambling content coming up on the air. Paul Howard, our buddy, is back. He's up in a couple of minutes.